I'm going to get into my message today. And yes, we have been focusing on these missionaries uh, in other areas, but even as Pastor Colleen said, we have a mission right here. God has called us to make a difference in our county, whether it be Pollock Pines all the way down to Rancho Cordova. We got people that drive up there from there. It's all about reaching people with the gospel. So I want to present an idea of a church because too often churches can fall into uh, this mode where they're not really making a difference anymore. And, uh, and, you know, a few years ago before we came here, our daughter was a missionary in uh, Prague. We went over there between uh, our, our church and Chico to here. We went, spent two weeks. We saw some of the most amazing churches there that were absolutely empty, and some of them were being used simply as museums. People were coming in, paying money to go in and see this amazing architecture, but there were no services. They weren't doing what the church was called to do. And so I was looking for some of them online, and I found this. This is a church in Europe right here. What an amazing building, but if you'll notice, you may not be able to tell, uh, it got turned into a library. How many of you know that is not the purpose of the church, to be a library? Yes, we have some books on the shelves in the cafe you can have, uh, but our calling is not to be a library. And so they remodeled it because the church is no longer being used from that. Here's a picture of it from the outside. Uh, amazing building with this little modern library look to it. Uh, that's not what God's called the church to do. And I think about whatever, what happened where this church that had a desire to reach their community, all of a sudden, you know what, dwindled in size, so many of them do, to where, uh, you know what, what a great building. Let's turn that into a library. There's a, a home in Chico that it was featured on one of the, the home channels or something. Somebody bought the church. It was a smaller building, and they turned it into their home because it was no longer used as a church. This one is a church that's in, uh, in Michigan. Uh, what a wonderful saying, right? Stay out. <laughs> it's a, it's a, the building's probably condemned. There's a guy working, I guess, probably salvaging bricks off of it. And, and I think that's such a sad situation. And yes, those are just buildings. Do buildings go to heaven? No. no. It's the people. And everyone represented a bunch of people that had a desire to reach their community. You wonder what happened that caused it to dwindle and to dwindle and to the lo- at one point no longer exist. You ever wonder that? And so uh, I wanted to look at this modern parable, and it's called Life Saving Station. It's actually a video, so if we can uh, play that and just direct your attention to the screens. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life saving station. The building was no more than a hut, and there was only one boat. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea. With little to no thought for themselves, they went out day and night, tirelessly searching for the lost. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding areas wanted to become associated with the station and give their time and money and effort to support the work. New boats were brought in and new crews were trained. And the little life-saving station grew. Some of these new members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those who were saved from the sea. They replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in the enlarged building. 
Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they began to use it sort of as a club. Fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. The life-saving motif still prevailed in this club's decor, and there was a memorial lifeboat in the room where the club initiations were held. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick, and some of them were foreigners. The beautiful new club was in chaos. Immediately, the property committee hired someone to rig up a shower outside the club, where victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. The outsiders made the life-saving station extremely dirty. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities because they felt that they were unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. But a small number of members insisted upon life-saving as their primary mission and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. After all, the dissenting group's members were voted down and told that if they wanted to save lives, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. So they did. As the years went by, however, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old station. It evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was found. History continued to repeat itself, and if you visit that eastern seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, but most of the passengers drown. kind of sobering, isn't it? We are called to be a church on the move, doing something, right? Going something. Did Jesus not call his church on a mission? He gave us something to do. We are not just a gathering place, and we like to gather. How many of you guys like to gather? There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not our primary mission. Our primary mission is to see lost people come to Christ. Amen. And get into a place that's healthy, a good community where we, uh, where we can encourage one another, where we can do that. Uh, I was thinking of this verse out of Matthew eleven twelve. 12. Uh, Jesus said this, from the time of John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. How many of you know the church does not just grow uh, 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 naturally? There's got to be purpose behind it. Uh, the church that we saw in Poland and Ukraine and Angola and these countries, it's not like, oh, you know, if people didn't forcefully advance and begin to make sacrifices, the church isn't going to go anywhere. And, and, and when you do that, according to the Scripture, there are people that are going to oppose that. There is forces. There is an enemy that wants to resist uh, the church going forward. It's like, you know what? Have your nice little club, and the enemy's okay with that. But if you start reaching people, if you start making a difference in people's lives, all of a sudden, you know, that's a different game. Uh, his church, as his church, we must take steps to advance the kingdom of God. Whether, amen, we can give, whether it's local, whether it's, and, and we can't, it's not like, oh, well, we just need to focus on local. Uh, how many of you know we can focus on local and to the ends of the earth at the same time? Right? How many of you can walk and chew gum at the same time? Right? It's not like you have to choose one or the other. We can be a part of both of them. And yes, there's going to be, the enemy's going to come against that. 
And like I said, it's not just necessarily about, oh, I want to grow Freedom Church. No, I want to grow the kingdom. Right? We need to be more kingdom mindset and say, you know what? If we're sending a a percent of our money to missionaries uh, around the world, that's okay. Right? Because God will take care of our needs. God will help us. I mean, it's that whole principle of tithing. If you give to God, God's going to take care of your needs. I believe the same thing is true as a church. If we support those that are doing the kingdom, uh, advancing the kingdom where we can't, how many of you know God's going to take care of our needs? So it's keeping that right perspective. And so, yes, there's... So uh, the Great Commission, that's what we have been called to do. And yes, I've heard people say, oh, it's not the great suggestion. How many of you have heard that? Right? It's not the great idea. It is a great commission. And Pastor Colleen referenced it. But, you know, Jesus said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You're going to be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. And, 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 you know, Jerusalem, Judea, the ends of the earth. So I want to focus a little bit. This is what today is about, is focusing on our Jerusalem. Not just this morning, but tonight at our mission banquet. Like I said, I hope you guys are coming. I'm, we're going to have a good time. But in four weeks, there's an important Sunday coming up four weeks from today. Who knows what that is? Yeah, I heard it's Easter, right? Resurrection Sunday, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that is one of the three days out of the year that a non-church person is most likely to come to church. How many of you knew that? We, we kind of jokingly say that's your CEO members, Christmas, Easter only. Right, so, uh, uh, but people will come, and, and you know we celebrate it. But listen, we take the opportunity every Easter, every Christmas, the other uh, Sunday that most people are likely to come. Does anybody know what that is? Yes, I heard someone say Mother's Day. Right, that's like that's when all the moms, when their kids aren't serving the Lord, like, would you just come to church on Mother's Day? Right. And so that's, uh, those are opportunities to share the gospel. So we have this day coming up, and we're going to talk about it uh, in a little bit more at the end of this message. But I want to say, two years of pandemic, now this war that's going on in Ukraine, and, and this word that, that Nick felt like the Lord was sharing, I believe is, is right on. The enemy has wanted to kill, steal, and destroy. He's wanted to distract the church from what our mission is. He's got people worked up in politics, in mask or no mask. I mean, that message last week that our missionaries shared, I thought was so spot on. Probably one of the best ones that I've ever heard. Uh, I've heard some great messages from missionaries, but it was like so basic and so spot on. Jesus is the reason we're here. And we've gotten so focused on all of these other things. So uh, it's time for us as the church to get back and make the main thing the main thing. Amen. It's time to advance. It's time to advance the kingdom. So we have a choice. We can be the church that simply exists and uh, hope that people find Freedom Church in this back of this business district. How many of you think it was a little bit hard? Anybody have trouble finding this church before you first came? See, and we were too. When we came to this church to interview, uh, it was like I following the GPS and I thought, oh, this can't be right. So... (laughs) So it had us turning down shingle limelight. I'm like, no, no, this is like nowhere. So I turned around and it redirected us. So, uh, but you know, amazingly, you guys found it, right? We found it. That's not what God's called us to do. Like, well, if they know where we are, they can come find us. That's not what the church. How many of you know Jesus didn't operate that way? He didn't say, hey, I'm in Jerusalem. If you need anything, come find me. Come look for me, right? No. What did Jesus do? He invaded people's lives, didn't he? And I say that in a good way. 
because he encountered people everywhere he went. And, and so I just looked at a few verses that I want to cover. Matthew 4.13, uh, and notice in each one of these how Jesus is going around. He first went to Nazareth, then he left there and moved to Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee. Uh, verse 18, one day Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. How many of you guys liking walking around the shores? Go to the beach, those things are nice. But he didn't just walk along the shore. If you read further, that's where he found some of it and called some of his disciples. Verse 23, Jesus traveled through the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, announcing the good news of the kingdom, healing every kinds of disease and uh, uh, illness. Chapter 5, one day as he saw the crowds gathering, he went up to the mountainside, sat down. His disciples gathered around him. So he's going where people are at. Uh, verse 5 through 7, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies uh, in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. What did Jesus say? Did he say, hey, bring him to me? No. What did he say? I'll come and heal him. And, and we know the rest of that story. He didn't have to go. The, the Roman officer said, just speak the word. But listen, Jesus was willing to go wherever he needed to go. Uh, Matthew 9.9, uh, 9. as he was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew. He's just like walking along. There's Matthew at his tax collector's booth. Can you imagine? He's in the marketplace. Hey, come and follow me. Verse 35, he traveled throughout other towns, villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues, announcing the good news about the kingdom, and he healed every kind of disease. So those were just a few of the verses. Jesus didn't just wait for people to come to him, did he? No, he went to where they were. And, and right after this verse, and there's, he's healing all, he's seeing all of these people. And look at verse 36. It says, when he did what? Saw the crowd, right? His eyes were open. It says that he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I really felt like the Lord wanted me to pause on this word compassion that I have right here. Because it's a word we kind of throw around, uh, but I think that there's a godly compassion that only comes from him. See, God created us to be compassionate, didn't he? We are created in the image of God. God is a compassionate God. Uh, guess what? We have compassion, but sin has a way of eroding that. Am I right? Here's the definition of it in, uh, in the Greek. Again, I'm not going to pronounce that. That's kind of an interesting word, but it means to be moved in the inward parts. And so it's trying to convey there's something on the inside of you that fills it, a feeling of compassion. How many of you have uh, felt that? You felt compassion and on the inside of you, maybe you just felt like physically sick. Maybe you're like, oh man, your heart's going out. That is what compassion is. It is a feeling. Everybody say compassion's a feeling, <laughs> right? It's not just like, oh, you know, Oh, that looks too bad, right? No, if, if we don't feel compassion for others, guess what? There's, a, there's an indication that something's wrong. That means our heart has gotten a little bit too hard. We've allowed the circumstances and situations of our life to uh, cause our heart, the Scripture says, to be calloused. Now listen, if you do hard work, it's good to have calloused hands, right? But I want to say it's never good to have a calloused heart. If we've got a calloused heart, something is wrong. We can be moved to compassion, but I want to say it, it is not natural for sinful man to really walk and operate in true compassion. A lot of times we, we kind of counter it. There's another feeling that's very similar that's called pity. 
right? How many of you know there's a difference between pity and compassion? And I want to give you the, the, a definition that I, I read of somebody that said, it says, the near enemy of compassion is pity. Pity is seeing someone else's suffering, but seeing it in a distant, abstract way. It is pain that belongs to the other person and is not shared, right? Sometimes we confuse that and it's like, oh, we see that. Oh, 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 that's too bad, you know? You see somebody broken down on the road and I'm going to confess, I've said that. I'm like, oh, thank God my car's running. How many of you know that was not compassionate at all? So I'm confessing my sin here. Compassion is something that moves us, right? And uh, uh, what is it that causes us to not be compassionate? Uh, this is an individual that had pity but no compassion, right? Right. I pity the fool. I'm dating myself with that, right, with Mr. T. He still tries to look the same, but he's gotten old. So anyway, <laughs> we can be so consumed. The reality is when we're so consumed with our problems and our needs and our trials. Does anybody have problems, needs, or trials? Come on, let's see some hands. Let's, everybody. But we can be so consumed with our problems that it's very difficult to be compassionate to other people. It's like, oh, you got your problems, let me tell you my problems, right? We all have problems, and uh, it is about me. Sometimes it's because of the struggles with me. I have my own issues, and, and you know, that's why I think sometimes you, you see these commercials and they're trying to raise money uh, for uh, a project that's needy like the ASPCA. How many of you guys remember those commercials? They got the really sad dogs and cats in abuse situation. What they're trying to do is prime that pump long enough for you to either go online and give money or, or to do something because they know they got a window. If I can pull their heartstrings for a few minutes, maybe they'll give some money. Uh, but the reality is after 30 minutes, you're not even thinking about it anymore. Right? It was like, oh, that was sad. Oh, oh my show's back on. Right? I'm going to watch my show again. And, and so uh, the th sometimes the things that we see with our eyes and hear with our ears, uh, they, can, uh, they can get us a little bit and we can feel that. We can watch what's going on in Ukraine and like, oh my goodness, that's horrible. We see what's going on in, in, in Russia with the people that, that that's not their fault that their dictator leader is doing this. Am I right? And they're running out of supplies and they're, you know, and your heart can go out, but then you turn the channel, it's like, oh, okay. Now I'm thinking about something else. We have to realize that, that compassion is something that is deeper than feeling a few momentary moments of pity. It's deeper than that. And so I wanted, I wanted to do a little experiment today and show you some pictures. And, and in your own mind, maybe I'll ask you a couple of them. Do you feel uh, compassion for this individual, this picture I'm going to show? Or, you know, a great measure it on, like, like on a scale of 1 to 10. Each picture I show you, think about it. If it's like you have a lot of compassion, give it a 10. If a little compassion, maybe move it down to a 5 or 6. And if no compassion, you can just do it at 0. So this first picture right here, how many of you feel that's a 10 right there? Yeah. Right? This little kid is starving in a country, and, and it's like if you could, wouldn't you take them some food? take him into your home. I mean, there's a lot. It's easy to be compassionate. What about this, uh, this next picture? See this guy on the street? Now, I heard an oh, yeah. I heard an oh, yeah. But I'll tell you, people that have been in this situation and known people, how many of you know it's a lot easier to be compassionate? But I want to tell you, and I, I'm telling you the honest truth, people in church, in some churches, 
we'll say, you know what, that bum just needs to get a job, throw away that bottle. Am I telling you the truth? Right? He just needs to get a job. He just needs to get over it. He just needs to do that. And so uh, the compassion level drops a little bit, although he still pulls out to a lot of people's heart. What about this next one right here? What do you got to be compassionate about this? They got it together, right? That's the happy family right there. That's the modern-day cleavers going on, right? Uh, Why do I have any compassion there? I wish I had what you had, right? Maybe they got a 4,000-square-foot house and, you know, five cars in the driveway. A little bit harder to show compassion. What about this guy? Businessman, got a nice suit on, a little bit of a grumpy face there. But uh, other than that, it's like, yeah, why do I have compassion there? And here's my point. We tend to have compassion on those that we see seem neediest. Does that make sense? Those that seem the neediest, those are the ones that we can have compassion on. But I want to tell you that every one of us that live on this planet, ever have, ever will, all of us are lost without Christ. Every one of us. Whether you got the biggest house, Bill Gates' house, or, well, he's not even the rich guy anymore. What's his name? Tesla guy. Is he the richest? Okay, Elon Musk. Yeah, that's ridiculous. How can I have compassion on that guy, you know? But the reality, without Christ, we're all lost. And though you may have everything that this earth has to offer, what does the scripture say? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose their soul? See, verse 36 again, I want to go back to that. When Jesus saw the crowd, his compassion went further than skin deep. He saw their heart. He saw that even though they may seem like they got it together, how many of you know some of us are really good at making look like we got it all together, right? But they were confused and they were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He saw past that. And I just want to say, you know what? When Jesus saw me as a teenager... You know, I might have looked like I had it all together, but guess what? I didn't. How many of you know, wherever you are in life, when Jesus found you, he looked at you and he had compassion on you. He had compassion on you. He saw your brokenness, even if nobody else could see it. Even if nobody else could tell how helpless, he had that compassion. And he saw a crowd of people. Listen, it wasn't a crowd of just like homeless people or or hungry people. It was just a crowd of regular people. And he had compassion on them. And then he goes on to say in verse 37, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. Can you not sense the passion that Jesus is seeing there? Look at all of these people. All of them, if they don't come and turn to me, then there'll be no forgiveness of their sin. Can I give you a few uh, uh, eye-opening statistics? And I don't know who did the statistics, but I'm going with it. So uh, 97% of Christians will never share their faith with one unbeliever, ever. That's a lot, isn't it? Oh, we can tell. We can, you know, let me tell you, there are some churches that are more evangelistic and that there's a higher percentage of people that do. There's some that it's like, oh, we don't talk about it. My religion's private. I don't tell, and, it's, and it's more than just saying, hey, God loves you, which is good. That's better than nothing. Uh, but I want to tell you, when we're talking about sharing your faith, I'm talking about sharing the gospel. 
tell him that, that, you know what, God loves you. He died on the cross to forgive you of your sin. And, uh, you know, whatever that may, most of us don't do it. Look at this one right here. 90% of unbelievers will never come to our church. Think about El Dorado County. You know, there's obviously a lot of people that go to different churches. Some people go and, uh, you know, occasionally they're the CEO members. Like, oh, yeah, I go to that church every Christmas and Easter, right? And maybe Mother's Day. There, there are those, but then the, those that don't go anywhere, 90% are not going to hit life's rock bottom and say, oh, I'll go to church. They just don't do that because it's to, so out of their, their wheelhouse that that just doesn't happen unless somebody goes and invites them and tells them, right? So uh, here's the deal. 75% of non-believers are willing to hear somebody else's faith. And you think, well, that's really high. Do you know why that seems high? It's because if you had one person that was like hostile to you and you're sharing your faith, how many of you know the enemy plays that? And like, oh, everybody's hostile. Oh, nobody wants to hear it. I want to tell you, for like six years, we, uh, we went every Thursday night for six months out of each year to an outside market in Chico. Our church had a booth out there. We were telling people about Jesus. Most people were very friendly, interactive, you know, uh, but every now and then, somebody would come up and be hostile. I'll never forget this one individual that's sitting there questioning us with this, you know, I, I think there's a little bit of satanic smirk, but just kind of tearing up the literature that we had. And was very, you know what, we could have walked away and said, Net, nobody wants to hear. But I want to tell you, most people are willing to hear. If you don't come at them with some kind of condemning, kind of judgmental way, uh, tell them about God's love. And, and so how are we going to reach this 90% by realizing that 75% of them might be willing to hear? So here's the thing. This is what I, a question. Why is it that most people don't talk to lost people about their faith? Why don't we do that? Why don't we share that? And, and I think you guys will probably know at least these first two. First of all, I don't know what to say. Anybody ever been in that boat? Oh, God. Sometimes I don't know what to say up until the moment I open my mouth. Anybody ever been there? It's like, uh, 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 Jesus, right? We don't know what to say. And so the enemy plays on that. You, you're going you're gonna to sound foolish. You don't know what to say. They're going to ask you something. Uh, he plays those mind games with us. The other one is a fear of rejection. Right? Oh, I mean, no, anybody love rejection? Come on. Man, I just love being rejected. That's amazing, right? No, we don't like that. And so that kind of plays on our fear as well. Uh, but I think both of those can be overridden if we understood this third reason that we don't is a lack of Christ's compassion. Because if we really knew and really believed that this person is going to go to hell without Christ, we really knew that their, their circumstance and their situation, their life could improve if they would give their life to Jesus, how many of you know we would want to get that message to them? And so there's the, the, the problem I think we struggle with is our compassion issue. Do I really have that compassion? So I just want to give you four ways. It's probably not all the ways, uh, but four ways to help develop compassion in our life. And I'm talking about a godly compassion. Number one is that I need to renew my intimacy with God. I, I can just tell you from my personal life, the closer I am to God, the more compassionate I am to other people. The further, if I've missed some time with the Lord, and, and, and how many of you know I kind of get short with people? Anybody else in that same boat? 
people annoy me. That person cut me off in traffic. That lady didn't fill up my glass of water fast enough. They looked at me wrong. Let me tell you, I was praying about this, and I'm, I promise you this happened. I must have cut somebody off in traffic yesterday coming up. This person pulled up next to me and uh, showed me his hand telling me that I was number one. And you know what? I was thinking, if you know where I'm going with that, I did not do anything on purpose to him, but there was an old Scott, if I was further from the Lord, uh, I might have told him he was number one, and we would have argued about it. <laughs> and, then, and then sped up and cut him off in traffic. But that was when I was a little bit further from the Lord. You know what? I, I didn't know what was going on with him. I'm like, Lord, if I did something, I didn't see, I didn't mean to cut him off, or I don't know what I did. The difference is that I act more like Christ the closer I am to him. And so I've got to renew my intimacy. The more I get the heart of God, the closer I am. And so when you hear pastors or what, oh, you need to pray, you need to read your Bible, it's not just because we're trying to instill a religious thing for you to do. It's because that's the only way we get close to him. That's the only way we get close to him. What does he say? Oh, well, there it is, Psalms. Uh, Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. Listen, God's had compassion on us. He uh, reached out to me. How many, of you, how many of you thankful that God reached out to you? He used somebody, right? So that's number one, how to uh, develop that compassion. I've got to get close to him. Second one, I think this is important, is to befriend the lost. You like that one, right? This, you know, Jesus was known as what? A friend of sinners, of sinners right? Uh, now, let me say, the Pharisees meant a derogatory statement when they said this out of uh, Luke seven thirty four: The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Well, he wasn't a drunkard and he wasn't a glutton, but he was, he did embrace that. Yeah, I'm a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I'm, I'm a friend that way. And understand that, that, that he embraced that. Sometimes what happens when we become a follower of Christ, and I can just give this example in my life. When I was a teenager, most of my friends did not serve God. Right? How many of you, before you became a Christian, most of your friends did not serve God? Right? We went out and drank. We did the things that you're not supposed to do. Yes, I know my mom's watching, uh, but I did it. So that's all I'm going to say. I was underage, and... Uh, Things didn't go well. Anyway, once I accepted Christ, all of a sudden this thing happened, and it wasn't something that I did per, uh, purposely, uh, but I stopped hanging out with some of these guys that did that, and I don't know if it was I stopped hanging. They didn't want to invite me over to the party because I'm not going to drink, right? And I started uh, developing relationships and friendships in the church other believers that would encourage me. Again, I think that's a healthy thing, and one asked time, we lose contact with people that still need Jesus. So how do we, what do we do? Does that mean we go to the parties? Well, I'm not saying you got to go to the parties, but I think the challenge that we have is simply being friendly to all people. No matter where you go, we, we are reflecting the love of Christ. And listen, I understand personalities. My wife and I are two totally different. I'm very uh, more outgoing. I can talk to anybody anywhere. Anybody else like that? Like, I, I can be in the line at Costco and strike up a conversation, right? And she's like, well, I can't believe you asked that. Go to, we went to a yard sale, 
and uh, we're, we're, they're moving, and so I'm asking them, hey, where are you moving to? What's going on? What's happening there? So I'm having this conversation. She's like, I can't believe you would ask all those questions, and I go to my oil, I get my oil changed about, you know, what, once ever, however many miles. Uh, the lady there that checks me in knows me because I start talking to her, and I think it cued it off because I enter in my email, Pastor Scott at Freedom Church, you know, uh, but then we start, she goes, oh yeah, you're the pastor of this church, and, and so we have dialogue. I go to the Subway sandwich like maybe once a week, once every other week. Uh, the manager there knows me, and we start having conversation. He's like, oh, pastor, he, I'm not his pastor, but he calls me pastor when I come in. And then, and then what amazed my daughter is that where I, we go get our sodas at, what's the name of that? A&PM or whatever. All of them know me. And I get free sodas all the time. Thank you, Jesus, right? <laughs> They're like, ah, oh, go ahead. I'll be pulling out three of them or something like that. Uh, but, I mean, they all know me, and I talk to them and have uh, conversations about uh, the Lord with some of them. Not every time, but several times I have. And so here's the thing, that we have, sometimes we just have single encounters with people. And we got to realize, though, uh, from the marketplace, we had uh, uh, the people that were selling it. I had to do two trips because it didn't fit all in our van. We don't have a truck. But anyway, when we went back the second time, I pulled out one of these little uh, things right here with an invite card to the church. And I said, hey, I just want to invite you. You know what? If you don't have a church. And she said, uh, she goes, oh, I was going to ask you about that. So she's not here today. So, uh, but you never know. She might be watching online. She may, come, she may come six months from now. But we've got to realize that just being friendly with people makes a difference. Just being uh, kind to other people. And so do that. That's, that's, when you start doing that, all of a sudden God's going to start stirring your heart. Who knows? Get creative. Right? There is no book of this is how you do it. Right? That's like, God, how can I uh, be a friend to those that don't know you? How can I be there? How can I encourage them? How can I build them up, right? So number three is that we've got to embrace the commission that we have been given. Embrace it. The Great Commission was not just given for a few select people. It was given for all of us. Uh, we need to quit making excuses. Acts 1.8 says this. I'm going back to it. But I wanted to emphasize, he said, you... Everybody say you, or say, say me, right? We'll receive power, and you will be my witness. It's not the pastor. Oh, pastor, you know what? My neighbor needs Jesus. Can you come over and share it with him? I mean, I can, but how many of you know you are called to be the witness? You are called to be the witness. You know, last week I was reminded, uh, our, our missionary, his wife Donna said, uh, and she's a missionary too, but... She said, I am, when, when they're on the field, she goes, I'm reminded every day what my call is because everybody's talking in a foreign language, right? So she's reminded, I'm a missionary, I'm in a foreign language, I'm here doing what God's called me. How many of you know that's a little bit harder for us, right? Because everybody's not speaking a foreign language, at least for the most part, right? And so we're in our, and it's so easy just to kind of forget, oh yeah, I, I, I've God been commissioned with the Great Commission, you know, we got that sign on the back, you're about to enter your mission field. How many of you know it wouldn't be a bad thing to have that in your house? Because every time you walk out of that door, you are commissioned with the Great Commission. Right? When you go to your workplace, when you go to uh, uh, your neighbor's house, when you go get your hair cut somewhere, wherever it is, it's like, I am supposed to, that is my commission. 
I am to be a part of that. And, and listen, we can pass the buck. Oh, you know, oh, I was going to share the Lord with that person, but I forgot about it. I didn't think about it, right? I, oh, yeah, I, I, I had something else on my mind. Uh, again, I understand all of that. I'm guilty of all of it. But when we have been commissioned to do something, we have to somehow keep that on our mind. We have to embrace it. And uh, here's, here's the definition. It's an instruction, a command, or a duty given to a person or a group of people. We have been commissioned to be witnesses for Christ. And the question is, do I embrace that? And if I do, then I've got to, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. We've all struggled with that. But if you've really been committed, and it makes me think of when I was in the military, uh, when they had the, the new lieutenants coming in, second lieutenants, uh, some of you guys might know they had the gold bar, and so we called it their butter bar. Anybody know that? You remember that, don't you, Frank, right? It, we called it that because they didn't really know what they were doing. They were, they were commissioned officers and actually held a higher rank than the non-commissioned officers, but they, you know, the second lieutenants, they didn't know. I'll never forget, because I was in a construction uh, platoon. I was a heavy equipment operator, but we had uh, carpenters, plumbers, all of those trades, and uh, one of those butter bars came along, and the guy was just, like, he was just playing and hammering nails and bending them, and all of a sudden, she came along, and she's like, what are you doing up there? And he's like, uh-oh, I got busted, you know, and he goes, oh, he goes, I'm just bending nails, and she goes, what for? He goes, so that we can make the corners on the wood, you know, and hammer them in. And, he, and uh, she goes, okay, and walked off like that, right? She didn't know what she was doing. And uh, sometimes we're like, oh, man, I feel like a butter bar, and I've been in this commission. But you know what they do is they get ranked, they learn. Oh, God, teach me. God, teach me. God, teach me what it means to embrace this call of being commissioned. I'll teach me what it means to be a friend. And then number four, renounce apathy. Because again, this can hit us all, am I right? What is, what is this word when you break down apathy? Uh, the A is uh, meaning without, pathos, emotions, or feeling. Uh, we can be without feeling or without passion. This is an ancient time this word was used to describe somebody that's indifferent towards something. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know that's going on. Oh, that's happening. But you know what? What, how, what does that have to do with me? How many of you have heard that? Yeah, I know that's happening. That didn't have nothing to do with me. Uh, as a believer, guess what? It does. It does. People matter to God. People should matter to us. Amen? And uh, I want to just cover this. This is out of a different verse, but it says, Jesus came. He saw a multitude. He was moved with compassion. How do I get that? How do I get moved with compassion? Uh, four, four things right here that I just want to cover. First of all, I need to see the, thing, see the way Jesus sees. You know, we got posters up here of people from different countries. I don't know what their relationships with the Lord, but you go to the grocery store, you go to the gas station. What would happen if you said, God, let me begin to see people the way you see people? Not as an inconvenience, not as an irritant, not as in my way, but let me begin to see people the way you do. Let me begin to see how they're on your heart. Because I want to tell you, not a person you'll ever lock eyes with is someone that Jesus didn't die for. He did. And we have to realize that. Not only do I need to see, I need to do what Jesus did. Remember, he didn't just sit back and wait for people to come to him. What did he do? He went to where they were. He went on. If you go to the beach and you have a vacation, uh, look for an opportunity. God, I'm on the beach. 
Give me an opportunity. Thirdly, we need to feel the things that Jesus filled, to be moved with compassion. And there's a song that we uh, sing, and I'm going to have Timothy do it. <laughs> Can I get a second? All in favor? Amen. But I, want, I really feel like we need to get this out. But there's a song, and, and, and the bridge in that song, it says, Heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you have loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours, everything I am for your kingdom's cause as I walk from earth to eternity. How many of you know that's not a bad prayer? God, break my heart for the things that break yours. And I think the last, the last thing is that we need to pray what Jesus prays. Remember what he said? Ask the Lord of the harvest to send more workers into his field. I believe this is so basic I wanted to get to this right here. At the beginning of this message, I told you that we're, we got Easter coming up in, in four weeks, right? And so as a church, what we're doing, we're doing a journey to Easter. Uh, so today we're preparing for it, letting you guys know it's coming. A week from tomorrow, uh, Monday, um, the 28th, we are doing a 21-day challenge where we're going to send out uh, emails, videos, different things to encourage you as we lead up into Easter. So if we don't have your email or if you don't e have email, then we will find a way to get the information to you. But if you don't, we need to get your email address because we want to send that to you. And, and I want to start with this challenge today, uh, just three things. I want to encourage you to think of three people to start praying for their salvation. How many of you believe prayer makes a difference, right? It may be people you know. It may be the person that makes your Subway sandwich. It may be the person that, that cuts your hair. I don't know. Uh, you're like, uh, what's her name that gives me my, uh, cuts my hair or whatever? So if it's people you know, great. If it's not, but just think of three people. Write a list and say, God, I'm going to start praying for these three people. I'm praying for their salvation. I'm praying that their eyes would be open. I'm praying that whatever struggles they're going through, that, that God will be there. And, and secondly, not just doing that, we need to find a way to serve people. You can, there's opportunities to serve in the local church, right? But there's opportunities outside the church to serve. There are ways, you know, we're going on a mission trip this summer. How many of you know that's not a bad thing to go to? I would encourage you. Uh, I think there's a meeting coming up uh, in April. You're going to find out once you step outside of yourself and begin to put other people first, that is life-changing. Because we're not taught that as Americans, are we? We're taught to look out for number... What about... I need me time. Right? Anybody ever hear that? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I just need some me time. Man, you need some Jesus time, right? So anyway, I'm not going to get on that. Find a way to serve others. Because I want to tell you the most fulfilling thing in life is not having me time, it's having Jesus time and putting other people first. There's nothing that will fill your heart more and give you purpose in life and give you joy in life than to know that God used you to help somebody else. It's powerful. It's, it's, it's life-changing. The world doesn't talk about that stuff, right? And, and then the third thing is to pray for the workers. I, I'm just encouraging pray. There are, we need to see more. And when you begin to pray for workers into the harvest field, guess what? All of a sudden you're going to realize, oh, wait a minute, I'm one of those. God wants me. God wants me. So uh, those are the challenges that, that I just wanted to, to give you. God's kingdom is so upended from what the world says. I, I don't know if I have it. I got it right here. Isaiah 55, 
My, he says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts. Let me tell you, God's kingdom works completely different than what this world says. Instead of being focused and thinking, I got to take care of me, I got to do me, I got to do all of that, you begin to give your life to God, you begin to give your life to others. I want to tell you what, that's where true fulfillment is. That's where you be, find out who you really are and who God created you to be. So uh, as we get ready to wrap up this, uh, Pastor Timothy is going to lead us in that song that, that I shared those verses with. Actually, let me move this out of the way. And I just want to encourage you that, especially when we get to that bridge, can you make that a prayer? How many of you know sometimes we sing a song, but a lot of the songs we sing are really our prayers, they're declarations, Declar you know, you are my champion. How many of you know that's a declaration? But this song is a, is a, uh, a prayer. And I, that's really what I want to, that, you know, sometimes we have altar calls. Listen, if you need prayer for any reason, feel free to come up for that. Uh, but I want to challenge us. Let's make this a prayer today. Oh, God, break my heart with what breaks yours. Help me see things because I'm going to be honest. I, sometimes I feel calloused. Anybody else ever feel that? I see it and I'm, oh, that's horrible. That's horrible. Good thing that's not my car broken down, right? We all feel that. So we need to get close to God and say, God, begin to break this heart again. Begin to soften it up. Wherever there have been calluses, and yes, I know what causes calluses, rough things that hit your life. Am I right? I want to tell you, God can remove all of that. What does it say in Ezekiel? I will give, take out that heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. This, that's not just salvation. I believe it's when we've allowed the world to harden us. We just need to make a prayer. God, soften me again.